0: Daniel is dreams. If you are wanting to get a little bit of an overview of where this fits in historically in the in the story of the Old Testament, you have the United Kingdom with, with Saul and then David. You might say that's the golden era uh, of David and Solomon. Who, David had a whole heart for God, but Solomon had a half heart. And after his reign, the kingdom divided into north and south, Israel and Judah and uh, God sent prophets to say, you need to get right with me, and if you don't, I will keep my word that I told you right before I gave you this land, that if you worshipped foreign gods and idols, that I would, I would spew you out of this land and take you into captivity. Well, Israel didn't listen, and so the Assyrians came from the north and took them into captivity. And then later, the same thing happened to the southern kingdom, and so we have the Babylonian exile where uh, Daniel fits into and then later, next week, we'll look at the return under Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, how God keeps his promises and they return. There is another form, united kingdom, then the divided kingdom, then the seven years of exile, and then the return of God's people. If you want to see it geographically, Where they moved, and so the northern kingdom is taken by Assyria, the southern kingdom, Judah, is taken by Babylonia, and then, of course, the Medes and the Persians then take over Babylonia, and then comes the return after that. So, all that really says that the Jewish people were feeling, Where is God in all of this? The very foundation of their faith, John Stott says, was undermined. Where was their God? But the answer of the book of Daniel was that in spite of all appearances to the contrary, as if they're taken out of their own land, they're in a foreign land, as if the temple is destroyed and their people are destroyed and scattered, and it seems like everything is finished. But uh, the book of Daniel says the Most High God rules over all human kingdoms. He is in charge. And we're going to look at three stories, and stories that we often tell to our children but have much to teach us. Stories that are taught in Sunday school and in songs and to children. But I want us to look at these stories because these stories are not just made-up fictional stories. They're actually accounts of real people, starting off with some young men who are probably only about 15 years old. And then about 20 years later, three of these young men face some incredible... um, Uh, confrontation of their faith and have to decide where they're going to stand and as an old man later one man probably about 80 years old also has to decide what will he do where will he draw the line how will he stand for God in this foreign land and so we're going to look at their stories and hopefully learn something about faith and faithfulness together this morning if you have your bibles turn to Daniel chapter 1 and uh, we're going to ask Gerard to come and read that story
1: to us thank you and put it in, put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenes, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus.
0: That's the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to meet in this place in freedom. To worship you, our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ, and to listen to your word that you have given us. And so, Father, we pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to understand and to grasp and to respond in faith and obedience to whatever your spirit may wish to say to us. So we ask in the name of Jesus who rose from the dead that you would speak to us this morning. That we would hear the still small voice of the Spirit of God and we would say, yes, Lord. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now if you... uh, Trained in preaching, you're always told you really need to find one point that everything else focuses to. But um, I got to struggle with that this week. I got two points. I've got two ideas that come out through these three stories, and I just couldn't choose one of them. So I'm going to try and put the two together. The first is to learn to bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. I didn't come up with the idea. I heard it somewhere from somebody. I don't know who bloom where you're where has god put you bloom and flourish there trust god there see god work there don't always be looking over your shoulder to where you could be except that god has put you there and bloom where you're planted and the next one comes in the statement underneath are you going to conform there to the world around you or you're going to be a transformer there of the world to God's way. So bloom where you are planted. It is possible to serve the Lord even in Babylon. Think of Joseph in Egypt and Esther in Persia. Don't complain about the place where God puts you. Ask him to use you while you are there. Now remember that these four young fellows are not there by choice. This wasn't their 10-year plan. This wasn't their dream job. This wasn't their positive thinking that got them there. They were actually uh, stolen children. They were the stolen generation before we heard about a stolen generation. They were taken by force by an enemy army, by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians. And they were ripped out of their homeland and taken thousands of miles away to a culture and a home and a place and a language and a worship that was very different to what they had been brought up in. And yet look how they respond and how they lift. So I want to talk about their faith. That's what we tend to use in the New Testament. But the Old Testament, not so much talks about faith It's talking about faith, but it uses the word faithfulness. And perhaps this is what we need to bring in to have the full understanding of what faith involves. You see, we talk about faith as knowing what God says, then trust in that. And the Greek word for faith is more focused on the word trust, to trust what God says. And out of that trust should be obedience. So if I really know what God wants and I trust what God wants, the outflow of that should be obedience. But we tend to use the term faith to cover all of that. In the Old Testament, the word for faith is more focused on faithfulness. We know what God says and obedience should come from that as we've said and the proof that what God has said is true will be after my obedience. Example, Moses. God calls him to go down to Egypt and to rescue his people and bring them out of slavery and Moses is thinking, did God really say this? Is this what God wants me to do? I need proof. I need to know this is from God. And I've always was interested in what God says. He says, the proof is this. The proof will be when you've done what I've asked you to do, you'll come back to this spot where I've told you to do it and you'll worship me. So when you've obeyed me and gone and done what I've asked you to do and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, you will worship me on this mountain. The proof comes after the obedience. It seems contrary to our thinking. We want the proof so that we can obey. You know, part the Red Sea and then we'll move. Part the Jordan River and then we'll move. You do it and then we'll obey. God does it the other way. You obey, you trust and obey to reveal that trust. And then you'll see the proof. You put me first in your finances and then you'll see the proof. You put me first in your behavior then you'll see the proof. And actually the Old Testament would teach if you really want to know the will of God knowledge comes after obedience. After obedience. It's the other way around. And so these two words of faith and faithfulness are connected. And we want to look at that in the lives of these young men. So truth, faith, depends not only on God's power, but also on God's wisdom, and that's what you're trusting. Not only And see that in these stories, faith is not only trusting God's power to do something miraculous, but trusting God's wisdom no matter what, that he knows best. So bloom where you're planted, and the other term or thought I want you to flow in your brain this morning is where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to draw the line somewhere. You must draw the line. Because the culture we live in, and any culture you live in, there are good things about that culture, and there are things about that culture that are not good. And so you've got to navigate that course and work out and seek God, where do I draw the line in the culture that I'm in? Is it doesn't matter about this but these things it doesn't matter where do I draw the line we're going to see this in the life of these four young men are you going to conform or are you going to transform and it's interesting that the culture that these four young men went into wanted to change them to reflect their culture but they drew the line And in the end, four kings from the enemy culture actually prayed to their God by the end of the time. See how they transform the place where they're planted. See how they bloom where they're planted because they learnt where to draw the line. So the first one we're going to look at is Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 that we've had read to us and look at our lifestyle, how we live. And we heard the story about how these four young men were put in the king's service and I want you to notice that these young men who worshiped God were sharp and smart. Sometimes we get the idea or it's a portrayal that if you want to follow God you've got to have half a brain or you leave your brain at the door when you walk into church. You've got to be stupid or dumb but these guys were not dumb. They were the cream of the crop. They were pretty handsome like our young fellows here today. They were had no physical defects sorry about me they were handsome they had aptitude and they were well informed they were quick to understand and they were qualified to serve in the king's palace so these were no slouches these were smart top of the line guys and yet they had a faith in God that reflected in faithfulness to God in the circumstances they found themselves in And it's interesting that they were happy to conform in a number of things. In the area of language, they learnt the Babylonian language. They were happy to read the Babylonian literature. They were even happy to take on the Babylonian names. Their names actually reflected their god, and they all have L in it, referring to their god. But they took on names that were actually referring to the Babylonian gods, and I haven't got time to go into them all and explain them all, they were happy to conform, and to fit into the culture, because every culture is different, it's just a human construct, how we connect together, and so often we've thought that just our culture is good, and everybody else's culture is bad, now cultures do things differently, in every culture, including our own, some things are good, and some things don't reflect God, or not good, and we've got to navigate the culture we're put in, and so they conformed in a lot of areas, in the area of culture. For example, what we tend to do in Christian circles, we keep the culture of the generation before. We've done that in dress, haven't we? You know, you know what's holy is what we used to do in my grandparents' day. There's a scriptural principle of being uh, to dress decently, and there is principles that I then have to apply, but that doesn't mean I have to dress like my great-grandmother did. So how, how do we dress? They put on the clothes of the Babylonians. They learnt the language of the Babylonians. They studied their literature. They took on their names. However, they came a point where they made a decision to draw a line in the sand. But Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved, firmly determined to do something. And I want to encourage you as we go through these stories that it's best to decide before you get into the situation where you're going to draw the line, not try and work it out on the fly. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief priest, the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. We're not quite sure what the dietary commitment was. We we sometimes put the New Testament into that and said, Oh, well, maybe it was offered to idols, or maybe it was not kosher meat maybe it was uh, there was still blood in it it's not explained here and what about the wine because that was only a nazarite vow that that wasn't all jews so why did they pick on that we don't know and in one sense it doesn't matter but daniel had made a commitment to god somewhere and so was his free friends And uh, they had resolved not to defile themselves in this way. This is not teaching that the only way you should eat is be a vegetarian, just by the way. And we, yeah, that's a whole big story. We won't get into that either. But they resolved to draw the line there. There was something about this eating issue. You have to learn where to draw the line. You see, we have a value even as a church We seek to continuously change our ministry form without compromising biblical absolutes in order to better communicate the good news about Jesus. In every culture, you've got to see what is a cultural thing. It's not moral or immoral. And what can we adapt to without changing or compromising on biblical absolutes? And we see that in the life of Daniel and his friends. They were happy to dress different. They were happy to learn a different language. They were happy to take on a number of cultural things, but they'd drawn the line somewhere. Whatever that biblical absolute was, they'd made a commitment to God about. They weren't going to cross. And so the same in our ministry and our life. And so being faithful in a foreign culture, in a foreign setting, don't complain about the place where God puts you. Ask him to use you while you are there. So the question we're asking is where do you draw the line? And often you can't say that. There are certain biblical principles that flow through all of us and we'll come to that. But in other things, there are not. And you have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because uh, Daniel's name means God is my judge. That is, my father used to say to me, you stand or fall before your own maker, John. You'll give an account to him. It's not about pleasing everybody else. It's what has he asked you to do and how you're going to live for him. And so as a young man, I had to decide, would I study and do all my exam work on Sunday or would I make Sunday a day for God and for worship and for ministry? Now, God challenged me that, I would not. I would do it Saturday night or stay up late or get organized before and I would not do it on Sunday. Another Christian friend may not make that decision. I've got to be careful not to look down and this is what God's called me to do about putting him first. And there's other things like that. Where do I draw the line? What's God calling me? How does he want me to live? The guy who... uh, Linton Allen, who did the design here and the drawing earlier this year, I remember when he first came to know Jesus because he came out of the drug scene and was way out there with his twin brother and he had a miraculous conversion. I mean, he was into levitation, everything else, uh, before God got a hold of him. And uh, he, he was into weightlifting and bodybuilding. As you can see, I never was into weightlifting or bodybuilding, but He was. And I remember, we'll come up later, I remember he feeling God had said, that's first in your life and I need to be first in your life. Are you Are willing to give that up for me? And so he drew the line. That's what God asked him to do. So he gave up bodybuilding. Now there's nothing in the Bible to say body, bodybuilding's a sin. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. But for him it would become his God. And when he came to know Jesus, Jesus would you give that up. I want to be first in your life. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? And that's why the, the scripture that we have for next year that we've looked at, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We need to know the knowledge of his will in order that we might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So not everything. And so often, as Christians, we can get into a little area and think, you know, we can't be out there in the world, but how are they going to hear about Jesus if we don't live in the culture and amongst the culture? But we've got to learn to know in that culture where to draw the line and be faithful to that. So the next story I want to bring up is from Daniel chapter 3, and this is probably coming to the talk, Think of who's first, who's first in your life. And you'll know the story if you've read the Bible or been to Sunday school or heard kids' talks before about Nebuchadnezzar setting up this golden statue of himself and uh, getting the orchestra to play. And as soon as it plays, everybody's to bow down and worship him. He is God. And uh, these three young men, I've always wondered where Daniel was because he's not mentioned this time. Um... Maybe he was away on government duty somewhere else in the land. I don't know. It doesn't say. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are there. And uh, they decide not to bow and worship this golden statue. And, of course, all hell breaks loose. And my challenge is, is these decisions need to be made before you have to make the choice. You need to work through in your own life, where do I draw the line? before you find yourself in the pressure of the situation. Suddenly there's a statue and uh, the king, who is a potentate, who is a demagogue, who is a, you know, this is not democracy here, says when the music plays, you worship my image. You submit to my rule. I am Lord. I am God. Just like the early Christians had to decide, would they say Caesar is Lord or would they say that Jesus is Lord? And all you had to do to keep out of prison or getting executed was just to say, Caesar is Lord. But they said, we can't. But you have to decide that before the soldier asks you. And you have to decide whether you're going to worship or whether there's only one God you're going to worship. Choose before you have to make that choice. Young people, let me say, you need to decide. You need to draw the line. And not so young people either. When you go out on that first date, don't wait till the end of the night at midnight. Somebody said nothing good ever happens after midnight, so be home before that. But where am I going to draw the line when I'm sitting in that car before I drop her off? Don't wait then to decide where God wants you to draw the line. Where are you going to draw the line regarding telling the truth? Don't don't wait till the boss asks you to smudge something And in that pressure, will I, will I not, and trying to sum up whether I should or shouldn't. You you need to draw the line before. You need to choose before you have to make a choice. And realise you may not make a thing a big issue, but others may. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they heard the music, they'd already decided, they'd drawn the line, we will only worship the Lord our God, the living and true God, and we will not bend the knee to any idol. They just quietly did that, maybe just over the side. They weren't going to make a big thing of it. Everybody else is doing that. But other people noticed (laughs) and told the king. And they were brought before the king, and because of their position, he gave them a second chance, most likely. He knew them. They were key leaders in the kingdom, and uh, he was pretty stroppy, and uh, he gave them a next chance. But again, so the question I had to ask, how you have decided to live will always be tested. So when you make a decision, remember, somewhere along the line, that's going to be tested. If we're going to live for God, that's going to be tested. There's going to come a time when the music plays and I've got to decide, are I going to stand true to what I've committed to or will I bend? Will I swerve? Will I fit in? Will I conform? Or will I be a transformer? And I love what they say. Notice it in these words. This is they're committed to a principle versus an outcome. Well, what's the options here? Maybe if we go along with what he says, we could be a good witness. Maybe if we do this, it could work out a different way. No, they had said, we worship only one God. That's the principle. (laughs) I remember when our our kids were little, they'd be whinging about going to church and Sunday school's boring and don't want to go and we said well that's what we do as a family first day of the week we worship God we don't have to come up every morning and think about whether we will or won't that's our resolve, that's our decision we're going funny thing was on the way home I'll never forget talking to I think it was our second son and he was chatting in the car I said how how did Sunday school go? oh and he was raving about it I said I thought it was boring and he didn't want to go you know the proof is in the outcome But that's why you've got to make a principle. There'll be plenty of things that come and pressure comes. What's your principle? You've got to make a principle regarding alcohol in our society before you get to the party. Now, the scriptural principle, of course, is don't get drunk. But God challenged me in my life that I'll put the line back here and I won't drink any alcohol. I had a good friend who was the... uh, area rep or the manager of the company Barristock that I work for and uh, he was a follower of Jesus but he would have a drink or two but wouldn't get drunk and so at board meetings or staff meetings I would have put the line here so he very kindly made sure there was other drinks for me but he, he didn't draw the line there but I'm accountable to God for what God has challenged me to do and I won't go into the scriptures and how God challenged me on that. But it's a principle. Where do I draw the line? Because true faith depends not only on God's power, but also on God's wisdom. Notice what they say. If you don't, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. His, their response was, these three young men, Shadmi and Abe, said, the God we serve is able to deliver us. We have great confidence in the power of God. But I love this. But even if he doesn't, I just want you to know we're not going to bow anyway. Whether we burn, we're not going to turn. We really don't care because we have resolved we will not bow down and worship your God. God has the power to save us. But we trust his wisdom even bigger than that. And if he doesn't, we'll trust him anyway. And if you don't know the story, they were cast into the fire and Jesus came and walked with them and they were not burnt. And even the king had to recognize there is no God like this God who comes and walks in the fire with his people. looks like the Son of God is there with them in the fire. Faith is that sublime dependence upon God that even though we may not get what we want, we know and love the one who denies us for his good reason, and for our ultimate good. It was not their plan to be in Babylon. It was not their plan to be there on the plains of Dura before that great idol. They hadn't chosen that. That's where they found themselves. But there they were faithful to their God. Where do you draw the line? And then the last story from Daniel chapter 6. The famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. Probably the one we know of Daniel more than any of the others. Again, bloom where you're planted. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and chat traps. He was, and the king was going to put him in charge of the whole lot. He was doing so well. I mean, if we're praying for our workplace to be faithful to God, this was in a foreign land, not where I wanted to be, not doing what I wanted to do, was nothing of my choice. And yet these three men and Daniel worked hard, worked well, and did so, so well, they were distinguished above everybody else. How do we respond when we find ourselves and we're doing a job we don't really want to do? We didn't want to be there, but that's all that was there complain and grumble and moan. And yet we see these guys, because they realise they're not doing it for Nebuchadnezzar, they are ambassadors for the King of Kings, they're doing it for him. Bloom where you planted. Are you the best, doing the best you can where God has put you? so much so that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. He wasn't slack, nor was he sly. So much so that it frustrated the other guys, and so they they were trying to get rid of him. They didn't want him to be the top dog. He was at least level with them. And the king was going to put him above them and they didn't like him. And so how do we get rid of them? And so we'd we'll never find anything to get rid of him on how he does his work. That's saying something. We can never complain about how he does his work. He is faithfulness. Have you thought about faithfulness and faith living out in your workplace? It's not just talking about Jesus, it's how you do your work. Faithfulness to God, reflecting God's character in how you do your work. And so they said we've got to find something in his religious life to get him on. And that's why our focus on prayer and we pray today for our mission in work, for his lordship in our life and our work, to see it as a sacred trust from God wherever he's put us, to bloom where we're planted and see that, how Lord, help me to be an influence for good and for you in my workplace like Daniel and his three friends were. And see his faithfulness in character. They could find no corruption in him. And that's why our verse for the year is to fill you with the knowledge of his will, that we might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, even in our work. But that sort of character does not mean no conflict And in fact, the New Testament teaches, if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. And so these guys lied to the king. He said, all us leaders got together. Daniel certainly wasn't there. He was one of them. But they said, we've all got together and we've decided nobody can pray to any other god except you, king, for a whole month. And he thought that was a great idea. Otherwise, they'll be thrown into the den of lions. And then we read this, because they knew Daniel was a man of prayer. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You see, habits build character. He didn't suddenly say, oh, goodness, I'm in this difficult situation. If I don't, uh, you know, I'm going to be thrown to the lions. No, prayer wasn't something he came up in an emergency prayer was something of his life he had a habit he habitually you might say did the truth he was habitually faithful in his work he was habitually at prayer it was a habit of his life if you want to know the will of God do I habitually do I make it a practice to read the Bible if I want to know what God do I make it a practice to talk to him in prayer how often aware where leave you to decide? But is it a habit of your life? You have to make those decisions before you get into the pressure cooker of life. And the habits build the character. And Daniel's habit was to trust God. And that was revealed in his prayer life. He made it a habit to do it three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And of course... The outcome was he did what he'd always done. He didn't change. He didn't give in to the pressure. And so he was ultimately thrown to the lions. So that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and please him in every way so that you may have great endurance and patience. Just because you bloom where you're planted, just because you are... Faithful to God. Just because you draw the line doesn't mean you won't suffer or have difficult times. That's why that prayer for this coming year is so that we might be strengthened with power, that we might have great endurance in difficult circumstances and patience with difficult people in our lives. And so our prayer life prepares us for that. And so in the new year, I'm encouraging you to have a daily prayer. And it's on the card. You can pick one up as you leave. And there is a daily prayer that you can pray before you uh, enter into every day this coming year. And uh, may that build character in your life. So bloom where you're planted and be faithful in drawing the line. Bloom where you're planted and be faithful in drawing the line. In your relationships, in your work, in your home, in your language, in your attitudes, in your have you drawn the line? How how will I live that reflects him? How will I live that will be worthy of the one who calls me? I bear his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've created in his image to reflect his likeness. So I need to make sure. In all the cultural things that I'm in, there will be many things, that's fine. I can change and adapt. But somewhere in some things I have to draw the line. Don't wait till you get into the fire to draw that line. You need to know beforehand that's where prayer comes in and reading the word comes in. How do you want me to live? And G.K. Chesterton says this, faith is always at a disadvantage. It is perpetually defeated. It is a perpetually defeated thing which survives all its conquerors. Take a moment to just think on that. It seems like it's always defeated, but it survives all its conquerors. And the reason for that is right here because you cannot destroy the eternal one the one who was from the beginning who is and who always shall be the one who came at christmas to die on the cross in order that he would indwell you you cannot destroy him and if you trust in him and if he lives in you guess who can't be destroyed Whether in a fire, whether in a lion's den, or whether in a palace. And that's you. We're going to take a moment to just recommit ourselves to the Lord Jesus and to be faithful to Him as we take the bread and take the cup. So, welcome to the Lord's Supper this morning. Jesus prepared Himself in prayer before he was flogged, before he was crucified and buried but the good news of Easter is that he rose again from the dead and he conquered sin and death and you and I are made righteous brought back into relationship with Jesus through his blood shed on the cross in order that we may live righteously and these words won't come up and all to be presented righteous to the Father through faith in Jesus. And in just a moment, we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup. We're going to eat the bread, remind us of what Jesus has done for us, and we're going to drink the cup. And this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you, just as he was faithful, just as Daniel was faithful, will you recommit yourself to be faithful, that your faith in him to be right with God will transform in faithfulness towards him where you're planted, where you're working, where you're living. Lord, help me to be faithful. To prepare us for this, I've asked five people to come and read Thessalonians. And each one's going to come down now and we're going to grab a microphone. And here in these scriptures is some challenges to God's people of how we to live, how we to be reflecting our faith in faithfulness. And I want you to listen and say, Lord, what am I recommitting myself to as I take this Lord's Supper? Will I be faithful in this? Thank you. Who's first? Number one.
1: One Thessalonians 4. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live in this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you, and by the authority of the Lord Jesus, God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know the way God and his ways. Never
0: harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who
1: refuses to live by these rules is is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you.
0: But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then the people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend on others.
1: And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, who we who are still alive will and remain on the earth will caught, be caught up in the clouds t- to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Thank you.
0: The challenge in those scriptures in Thessalonians to us. Is to be faithful sexually, to love one another, to work quietly that we've seen from Daniel and his friends, to face death with hope as we live this righteous life in right relationship with God, a life that pleases him, not in order to be accepted by him, but because he has accepted us and his life through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection now lives in us. And to be faithful to that life that is in us, the resurrected Jesus, to live that out in our homes and in our workplace and in all our relationships. We're going to ask those who are going to wait on us to come and pass out the cup. And would you take a moment to pray? Maybe it's to confess, Lord, I haven't been faithful. I've not been drawing on the line where I know you want me to draw the line. I've been Crossing it time and time again. But by the blood of Jesus, would you forgive me and cleanse me? And as I eat this bread and drink this cup in this moment when we've all received it, would you strengthen me? I resolve to live faithful to you. I resolve to live faithful to you just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach. And a bendigo did in a foreign country, in a foreign land. In the quietness, will you talk to Father? Because we're made righteous by the blood of Jesus in order that we might live righteously by the power of his spirit within us to live in a way that reflects him, that's worthy of him, and one day be presented righteous to the Father, not in our own strength or power, but through faith in Christ's cross work. So will you take the bread and eat it and ask him for his forgiveness? for your sin and where you've not been faithful to him. as we drink the cup, and today we'll sit quietly to drink, will you ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit to live faithful to him? Let's drink together. Father in heaven, we ask for your forgiveness. Forgive us for those times and places and situations where we've not been a good example, we've not been faithful to you. We haven't had the courage to draw the line. We've not done our work or lived in a way that reflected you. So, Lord, please forgive us. Thank you for your death on the cross. Cleanse us by your precious blood. And, Lord Jesus, we realize you rose again from the dead to give us power over sin and death and hell. We ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us this coming week and this coming month and this coming year to live a life worthy of you. To have the courage to draw the line where your word says to draw the line. Where you've spoken to us personally to draw the line. in order that we won't be conformed to the culture, but those who don't know you come to know you and conform to your will in their life. And as Thessalonians says on the screen, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again.
1: Amen.